Psst. Psst. Come over here. It's the sacred show. Hello, and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign setting in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor. Very good. Thank you. And today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Today, we're going to do what we're calling a secret show. Secret show. A secret show. Don't tell anyone. Tell everyone. But also tell everybody. Uh, and the reason we're calling it a secret show is because every episode of the secret show after this is going to be for patrons only. Patrons? Wait, what? WTF? Yeah, that's right. We have started our own Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dispel Magic. And that's at patreon.com slash dispel magic i've been practicing patreon.com slash dispel magic that's very good dane very good if you head over there you'll see that our patrons get access to episode summaries which we're calling spell scrolls they get to vote on topics of future episodes and of course they will get access to monthly secret shows where we not only review the feedback we've gotten on recent episodes but also kind of talk about how our own kind of D&D campaigns or D&D projects are going. I'm in six games right now, so I got I got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll cut out most of what Dane says just so <laughs> nobody gets bored, but uh, we're going to really zone in on, on every, you know, whatever I have and to say. And then they rolled another saving throw. Oh, man. And it was like an 11, I guess. Yeah. People love to hear about <laughs> campaigns they're not in. That's that's a yeah. thing that's definitely true. Is that it's very fun to hear other across people's the board, yeah. across the board. Well, I, I mean, we're not going to be talking about specifics. We're going to be talking about what we're thinking about for our games, how the games are going more the creative side rather than the retelling of an epic yarn for sure and, and so speaking of dane how's D going for you these days it's going pretty good we're getting I, i've got two games that i'm running one is in the salt marsh source book and i've put in quite a bit of homebrew to bring in the characters backstories mm -hmm. so we're getting down to the last two chapters of that book and it's really exciting i've given the players a nautiloid um, awesome. the, one of the mind That's players awesome. um, because in in the book they get to the bottom of this great big saugan temple uh -huh. and there's like an arena down there and i didn't think my players would really dig that so much so i was like instead there's going to be a crashed nautiloid that they will have the opportunity to take that's super cool and i think probably i don't know how much longer you're planning on running that campaign since you're almost out of Ghost of Saltmarsh. But for April 1st, the D&D Twitter account posted a tweet that said Spelljammer confirmed. Yeah. And had like no, this goofy thing. But like, I think the joke there is that Spelljammer actually is going to happen this year. The double cross. Yeah. They're, it's a double. I think it's a double cross because I think they know they can't really joke about that and have no. it just be a joke. So serious. Also, there's a, there's been recent uh, unearthed arcanas that seem to suggest that uh spell jammers in the works so that That's would be the way it's going a super awesome kind of jump to get to make oh yeah well i know that one past game that we've played in we had a spell jammer-esque aspect to it where we mm -hmm. had like a a helm that we could put on an actual ship that right. we could fly which was right. a great i loved that idea but at the end of this book got at least two other arcs that I have planned. I've been sprinkling in backstory details for the different characters. One is we're going to, they're going to go after the, the sea princes, uh, which would be all homebrew. So whatever pirate cabal. And then another would be going into the princes of the apocalypse okay. mm -hmm. to wrap up the fire Genasi story in our, in our campaign. She's a freed slave from, from their cult. And okay. so they'd be going in and, busted ass sure 
Um, so I'm really excited about that. I've got a cleric who follows Procan and a Goliath that follows. What's the Goliath god with the ram's horns? Do you know who I'm talking about? I am. I I like don't care about official D and D lore at all because I've okay. never once run anything D and D that I didn't just make up the lore from cloth every time. I find it a lot easier to go to materials and then incorporate them into right. whatever yeah. bullshit I'm coming up with. You know, both of these characters they came to me with their stuff, so I'm I'm putting it in. Yeah, uh, no, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I think yeah. it's always fun as a DM to take what players bring and then run with it and spin it out. Well, I'm I'm thinking that I might have because one of them is Procan, who is god of the oceans and might and power and you know, a very proud God. And then the other is Kavaki, um, who is about contest and conquest and things like that. And I might try and pit the characters together, but that also might not happen. I don't know. I'm playing around with the ideas, having, having the gods clash. Sure. Lots to think about. <laughs> How about you? What's going on with you? Uh, well, you know, it's hard for me to talk about what's going on for me with D&D without talking about you just flip your hair a little bit. You're like, oh, it's hard for uh, it's hard for me to uh. no, uh, no, no. Okay. Um, it's hard. I thought for, I saw that for me to talk about D&D and what's what I'm doing with D&D without kind of talking a lot about what I'm writing currently or right. what I'm designing currently. So although I do, I am running a game now i actually had have mm. been kind of out of the gm dmc for a while but I, I have started a game a campaign recently but anyway uh so the the biggest things up with me with D recently are i have uh my upcoming dm skilled book which, which will be print on demand uh the ultimate adventures handbook uh, I am, one. yeah, I am supposed to get the proof of that soon. And once I get the proof, I can say this book looks great and it can go on sale. And so that's cool. I'm hopeful that I get to do that. Did you ever end up using the uh, motorcycle stats that I came up with? I, I came up with living, um, living motorcycle creature uh, for my campaign. I think I ran it past you. Do you remember that? Because I, I think that one of your campaigns has to do with time travel. It uh, Yeah, so one of my campaigns did. That was a campaign that ended quite a while ago. And I, I don't think I ever got to use it. But honestly, that campaign ended much shorter than I thought. Can, mm. t- I ended up that time travel was a, a super tricky thing to focus a campaign around. And I don't think I executed it super well. And it was just a situation where I could tell from the energy of the players that maybe it was time to wrap it up. And mm. so I did. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, hopefully I learned something. I was really excited about the premise, but I think I learned a lot about mysteries and how to un- unravel mysteries within a mysteries campaign. Yeah, because I, do- I, I was just doing this incredibly high concept like mystery time travel thing that was just like oh you were doing loki you were it you was were running loki if loki didn't know who he was or where he was from like it's uh, like it was like it was way i was running like way too i was it was way too high concept yeah huh? yeah time travel well yeah. that may come up later though hmm? It, hmm? it just might hey, who knows we do uh <laughs> secret show secret show but in terms of games I'm actually running, uh, I am running a hex crawl campaign, uh, which is something I have wanted to do for a while and have been thinking about how to do for a while. Tell, tell me about what a hex crawl is. Yeah, so I, I really hope that I'm using it kind of in a historically accurate context. But in terms of what what I'm doing, I'm calling the campaign The Banished City. And the idea is that the players all kind of session zero was just we collaboratively built the city they were they're in, mm, and made up some that. made up some details about it, and we also figured out what entity banished it to the farthest reaches of the multiverse, Mm-mm. because up until the last month this had been a city on a material plane that where like they were comfortable or whatever, and now suddenly they're thrown into the edge of the multiverse and they're they have to like they don't know anything around them. Are they on a particular plane or like? A no, thing? no. So the hex crawl campaign part of it is that uh, they're kind of gradually revealing 
the city is a hex. And then they're gradually revealing hexes adjacent to the city and then adjacent to the ones adjacent to the city or whatever else. And so it's also an, it's, I'm also experimenting with some episodic rules. I got really cool feedback that I don't super know how to incorporate yet, but I got really good feedback that right now it's a very action focused episode. Basically I give them, I, I name the quests that are in these different hexes. They choose the, they choose which quest to go on. We do that quest and then they come back and do downtime activities. Mm-hmm. But they said, we really wanted more time to do character development stuff. I don't know if they suggested it or if I did, but I thought it would be really fun if most of the character development stuff happened in flashbacks to before the city was banished. Oh, that's great. So it's kind of yeah. like, it's, so you're kind of unraveling the story about how everyone got to this place as you're playing forward through time. So I I'm going to work on that. I don't know how it'll turn out, um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm excited about that uh, cha- that design challenge. There's a, a part of uh, the first season of the Adventure Zone where they do flashback episodes like that, where it's like, well, these are the adventures they're going on. How do they end up right. where we know they end up? It, it It's a fun way to incorporate mystery into the campaign without having to figure out a whodunit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it also, I think, lets people have secrets about their characters mm-hmm. that are start off as secrets between, you know, secrets to other players, but then get revealed and but not necessarily the characters know about it, but the other yeah. players start to learn about it. So it's just a fun, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to tinker around with it. it. Yeah, I'm going to tinker around with it, see what I can do. You know, the goal is to have two to three hour sessions that are rewarding on both like an action level, a role playing level, and a kind of downtime kind of board gamey type of level. Mm. And that's a lot to to shoot for two to three hours yeah Yeah. in two to three hours it's a lot to shoot for but that's that's the goal most of my games have been running two and a half hours two to two and a half hours and i generally find that it's either a half and half of role play combat Mm -hmm. or it's completely devoted to role play or completely devoted to combat it's not necessarily like i'm trying to put everything into that two and a half hours it's going along with how things are feeling as any good game should be, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about a uh, social bond table earlier today to encourage player bonding, uh, character bonding. Right. And maybe this is a thing. I haven't, I didn't look it up or anything, but and any time that uh, play, two players have a meaningful interaction, I give them one bond. And then if they have more than two bonds, they get a plus one on if they're helping a person mm-hmm. is is that a thing have you played with something like that before i don't know if it's a thing in in dnd i i sounds i i believe dungeon world has something similar to that and i know that a lot of people are very unsatisfied with the way bond ideal flaw and inspiration all work together and so experiment with different kind of ways to reinforce right. those character traits so I, I'm sure somebody out there is, is also developing along that lines and Dungeon World might be a place to look for inspiration there. Yeah, I love Dungeon World. I love Dungeon World. One of my favorite druids that I ever played was in Dungeon World with great big craggy eyebrows. Good. Some rock, rock guy. That's good. Hey, thanks, man. Benjamin, I know people have been whispering at me about the episodes we've released. They've been coming to you with all the wild and woolly shenanigans that they've thought of for the various spells we've reviewed so far. Yeah, so this so this secret show, we're going to cover Mending, Speak with Animals, Magic Mouth, Teleportation Circle, and Detect Poison and Disease. It's a lot to get through, so we're going to get it moving. Let's get going. Now, Mending you didn't get a lot of feedback about I heard I heard it was a perfect episode. Yeah, no, it was there was nothing wrong with it and everyone loved it and we covered all the bases. So, I'm not going to say speak with animals wasn't perfect because I think it, it was. It was it pretty was. perfect. Yeah. We did but a great job. We did I did get a question about this one on Twitter and the question was if it was an intentional omission or not to not bring up how animals being a more integrated part of humanoid society 
might mean that more people take on vegetarian or vegan diets. So that's, that's something I definitely wrote in my notes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, if I actually did say it or not, when we recorded the episode, it, it didn't make it into the final. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think we, I don't think we tread those. Yeah. It, so it was not intentionally omitted. I am, I have been vegetarian in the past and I, I think, you know, I might've been hesitant to bring it up just because I didn't want it to come across as preachy at all, but but this the the person who asked the question followed it up with some really interesting ideas about how you know if meat eating in general became really taboo there there'd be there might be some number of some segment of society who resents that resents that you know maybe eating the flesh of animals has become taboo and then but once it gets kind of forced underground it kind of has to rest besides other kind of grotesque or or taboo eating or dietary things which which includes cannibalism and so the suggestion i got was like could this spell potentially inadvertently lead to a rise in cannibalism the forbidden meats yeah exactly right if 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 all meat is forbidden then like it kind of gets to the place where like is cannibalism any worse than eating any other kind of meat and for a lot of people maybe they say no they're both bad but then there's probably a countercultural movement that is open to eating everyone then. And, and I also think it, it just lends itself to this really fun and gruesome idea of there being like an illicit meat market happening yeah. where Underground like societies, yeah. yeah, where it's like totally disgusting and like animals and, and people are being sold side by side. Sure. I, I mean, we, we talk in the episode about what makes a person and if right. being able to con or communicate with animals, when do they start being people? If animals are so integrated into society that most people become vegetarian, there are still animals who are now considered right. people who right. are carnivores, who right. have to eat this meat so do they then become second class citizens do they only exist in circles where these illicit meat markets are being sold it's it 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 stratifies society in a really interesting way where if you don't have the option of not eating sentient people or sentient creatures does that make you inherently evil and you know i, I don't think we're in a place to talk about what that is right here but you know like I could, if- yeah i could see that like meat eating animals that were useful like bears wolves those kinds of things that the way kind of society would adapt to that is by acknowledging certain prey animals of those species as mm-hmm. not useful and so yeah. as eligible to be eaten mm-hmm Oh man, putting worth worth on people, right? Love like it. exactly. Love to like see I, mean, it. I think Ugh. it would. I think that's how that would play out. But that, yeah, that would be a fun kind of social dynamic to play uh, with, and also moral dilemma to put people in. On a lighter note, I just love the idea of a barbecue speakeasy where you have to like hide your chicken legs and like. <laughs> You know, it's delicious barbecue. It's really good. The sauces are tangy. You know, they've got excellent sides, but you have to know the password <laughs> because only certain, you know, we got to trust who's going to be eating this, this barbecue. I was we'll, also, hmm. we'll get more to this later, but I think that speakeasy would have to be surrounded by like four feet of wood. Yeah. Yeah. For reasons. For we'll reasons. Get, for reasons yeah. we'll get into. I also like the idea that, you know, the animals then would become more commonplace in all aspects of life, mm-hmm. including the arts. So I, I, I know that that circuses are very problematic, but when you've partnered with the animal, you are providing food and shelter for them and they've tacitly agreed to whatever setup you have 
then you have really interesting performances or animal artists now you know imagine like actual swans in a ballet or you know certain animals singing along with an orchestra or something like that i think that that brings this really interesting almost exotic aspect to society where yeah they they're, they're participating in all parts of what people are doing yeah we talked a little bit about on that episode we talked about how they animals might be domesticated much faster or would be domesticated much faster if there was that ability to explicitly and directly communicate with them. Mm -hmm. But I think one of, it would be, it's easy to jump to the idea that they would also learn to non-verbally communicate. Oh yeah. Through like, as you say, art, dance, all that kind of thing. I mean, I, you can imagine certain species might take up painting or something mm -hmm. and once Sign they're yeah right and and once they can do those things like then it gets very then then the idea of like distinguishing them from other people gets very messy yeah a lot of gray areas i mean the the family of beavers that lives across the street you know they're they're really nice industrious they make a lot of noise <laughs> they but... make a lot of noise chomping chomping away um, I have to say, I think speak with animals is maybe my favorite episode that we've done. It was, I, it, it's not mine. Yeah. I, I, I actually really loved magic mouth, which we're going to talk about next, but oh, magic mouth. Interesting that you bring that up, <laughs> but, but speak with animals is a great one. And yes, speaking of magic mouth speaking, I did do some talking to folks who know more than I do and got confirmation that you can build the computer with magic mouth. Oof. Now, in that conversation, we talked about how cumbersome it would be because it'd be extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. The amount of times you'd have to cast the spell would be so astronomical that the computer you produced would be the size of a castle. Well, no, I mean, you can put it all on a rock. Everything can exist on one thing. Oh my God, you're but, right. But the amount of gold, it would be, I mean, I don't want to undersell it. It would probably be hundreds of thousands to millions or more of, of gold that you would be sinking into creating this mm -hmm. computer. So that was the in the conversation I had about, about this idea. But since then, I was reminded of the College of Creation, which was a new Bardic college that was introduced in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And they have a feature that allows them to create a non-magical object whose value is no more than 20 times the bard's level. Assuming that most of Magic Mouth's material component is tied up in jade, as like we talked about. 10 gold pieces of honeycomb. I mean, it's it's too much honeycomb. Honeycomb isn't much, worth anything. It's too much honeycomb. <laughs> it's too much honeycomb. Don't be ridiculous. So most of that must be in jade. So you can have a college of creation bard produce a ton of jade and then you've got your apiary to produce the small amount of honeycomb you need and then suddenly you've got at least six free castings of this every day and that's if you have a single level three college of creation bard as soon as you have multiple college of creation bards or a higher level one you can spam magic mouth a lot for free every single day and really start getting weird with it. Right. So this does facilitate the idea of, of building a computer, but it also makes that telegram or telegraph system we talked about. Well, it was brought up that I don't know if the internet would really work for this magic mouth telegraph system, because essentially the telegraph isn't the internet. Yeah, I think that's where... If you had a society practicing creating these computers out of Magic Mouth long mm -hmm. enough, then maybe you would yeah. get to get to a, a Magic Mouth internet. We're talking which, years and years and yeah, a whole well, lot not, of honeycomb. I, I think probably decades. But yeah, it, yeah, it, I think I, I stretched. I was just, I was excited, Dane. 
I was yeah. excited. Get excited, about the idea man. Of a magic mouth internet. I want you to be excited. And maybe I exaggerated a little bit. Yeah. But hey, no one can fault you for it. It's a lot of fun. Who's to say they haven't been doing this for decades? Who's to they say? Could, they could have been. Yeah. They could have been. The other very expensive thing you can make with Magic Mouth is a translation device. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before, but it kind of came. I was sort of thinking about in Star Trek how everybody talks and you just hear it in English, regardless of what language they're speaking. It's just happening. And, you know, I can imagine maybe even like diplomats wear like a face mask, like not a total face mask, but like over their mouth. And it's triggered by the words they're saying, like underneath the mask, mm-hmm. like in front of the mask, a, a mouth appears, or maybe like they paint a mouth on the front of the mask. So that incredibly it creepy. speaks and <laughs> the creepiest thing I've ever heard. Because it it says that it, the mouth appears, but it doesn't say in the same place. So, you know, you're talking and then all these little mouths are just popping up saying words. Ugh, I hate it. Hate it. Yeah, I guess it. I guess it. I guess it could be a little. It, I still like it. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> it's disconcerting, but you make a good point about putting a mouth on it because if it has a mouth on it, it uses that mouth, right, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So if you paint the mouth on the on the front of it, then you've got then you'll do Oof. do it there. Make sure you put that mouth on it, people. When you're making this translation uh, mask. Jumping back to the the idea of the telegraph system, mm-hmm. when I thought more about that, first of all, I think and maybe in that episode I talk about need to have two poles side by side, or maybe mm-hmm. I even correct myself in the episode. You did correct yourself. Okay, yes. yeah. So it, so it only has to be one, you know, because you can cast the long long sound and the short sound on on one object, but. One thing I hadn't totally thought about, you know, I talked about it being poles, but that means that everybody everywhere along the telegraph, you know, line is going to be able to see and hear the the contents of your telegraph. The magic mouth stipulates that it has to be a visible or audible trigger within 30 feet. Okay. But the magic mouth itself doesn't need to see or hear it because the magic mouth can't see or hear it. It doesn't have any senses Mm -hmm. it's not magic eye right it's not magic so it just has to be a thing that would be visible if there were an observer to see it Uh uh-huh okay so once we know that then we know that we can actually bury objects underground and it'll still carry the magic mouth kind of system i love that because it, it would be visible if somebody were there underground to witness it but no one is and since and since it's underground, it's the audio isn't going to carry. Right. And so you can create instead of a network of poles, a network of stones or whatever else you want underground between these two locations, so that your message is only conveyed specifically to the point you're trying to send it to. I, I do like the idea that folks with extra hearing, like extra sensitive hearing, are still hearing it, and they're like, "What the? What is that?" <laughs> Right, like tremor sense. Yeah, creatures eating. with creatures with tremor sense nearby those things are probably. I, I guess actually, yeah, that's, that's one of those Even funny with things. The pole. Where, yeah, that's one of those funny things where in our world where we build infrastructure and then that drives away certain kinds of animals. Yeah, like snakes. I imagine don't live too close to train stations because of the vibrations. <laughs> I would. This is a situation where I think any creature that has tremor sense is going to not want to live near one of these magic mouth telegraph systems. That or you're enraging a family of purple worms that are just going to bullets, yeah, really come at you. (laughs) And and then these telegraph companies are like, "Uh, we got another purple worm problem. We got to go defeat it. Yeah, no, that well, there's your adventure then. Yeah, you, there's they, your adventure. The, the telegraph, the magic mouth telegraph company hires you to go root out the, the bullets that are tearing up their telegraph lines. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Now, I think that my my favorite episode was Speak with Animals, but I I feel that we got a great response from Teleportation Circle. 
Yes. No, people really, really enjoyed the teleportation circle episode. And the first thing I want to say is that everything that was true about College of Creation Bards with Magic Mouth is true about teleportation circle. It makes teleportation circle suddenly a very reasonably cheap spell to to cast to make to make those permanent teleportation circles and now all you need is i guess uh what would be if you had one ninth level college of creation bard you could that's all you would need to get a free teleportation circle as long as he would stay as long as that that college of creation bard would stay in one place for a year eighteen thousand two hundred and fifty gold there you go so that's a lot of savings oh boy can you imagine taking that off your bill I I can and I like it, I, and I want to. You you you've sold me. I'll I'll upgrade my plan to teleport to or the thank you Bard of Creation. So one of the more exciting ideas that we talk about on that episode, or not, but yeah, exciting, was whether or not the spell facilitates time travel. Hmm. The big question. Right. The big question. I talked to a lot of different people from all sorts of walks of life game designers actual physicists i talked to a nuclear engineer there you go we talked to a lot of people and there were definitely more people who thought it did facilitate time travel than didn't Mm -hmm. but it was not i mean it was probably like 70 30 there was like there was a non-negligible number of people who I think no. probably have some sense of this that said no, not facilitate time travel. What so so we unfortunately, friends, we do not have an answer for you about whether or not it facilitates time travel. I will say that if you run with the idea that teleportation circle facilitates time travel, your whole campaign is probably going to be about that then. Yeah, it needs to so <laughs> it needs to revolve it's a central yeah. tenant all so, of a sudden so you either need to come up with either ignore it and just say no it doesn't allow time travel mm-hmm. or say it it would except that there's a god in the setting that like is dialing time back and forth to make sure that nothing happens or maybe no there's weird like a, speed of light shenanigans are right uh... <laughs> right or there's a like the like from loki the time variance authority right is coming in and saying yes you're six seconds in the past if you do anything we're gonna delete you yeah or you just say yeah i want to run this weird game of dnd where every time something happens people can teleport circle enough to go back in time to make sure it doesn't happen what i've heard is that because time and space are so interlinked that if there is a magic that can teleport you in space, then ostensibly you can jigger that spell to then affect time because they're, if I remember correctly, one in the same. <laughs> so, right. Right. I mean, I, the point that I get lost on and probably everybody who spoke with me is going to be a little bit frustrated by me saying I'm stuck on this still. Mm. But the point that I get stuck on is I get that. Like if I'm at point a, and I teleport to point B, it's like very far away. I look through a telescope and I see myself still at point A because the light from my leaving it hasn't traveled to me yet. Mm-hmm. That seems like an optical illusion, mm-hmm. not like a real, not like I've really gone back in time to before I go in. Mm-hmm. That's, where, that's where I'm we're stuck. Not, we're not smart enough for this. No, that's where I'm stuck. Benjamin, we're not it's smart how, enough. It's how is that not just an optical illusion? Yeah. But people smarter than me say that it's not and that it is time travel and that then if you jump back from b to a you would meet yourself before you went into the teleportation circle to go to point b and so you could just kind of do that back and forth and kind of go back as far as you needed to go teleportation begets time travel Mm -hmm. then i think that creates an entire school of magic of temporal magic of what people can do with that and manipulating of time. I think that it's not written in teleportation circle and this is extrapolating, but Mm -hmm. if teleportation circles allow you to travel through time, then that would be studied by the wizards of the game. And then 
mat time magic would exist. And I know that in Matt Mercer's settings and in Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount, temporal spells exist. Dunamancy, right. So I think that this just kind of gives it a different flavor of its origin of Dudamancy stemming from teleportation circles. So you can have your own kind of idea of where time magic comes from the study of teleportation circles. Yeah. I mean, you could certainly one of the things we talked about maybe in the speak with animals episode mm. was how we come at D and D with this idea that spells have existed forever, but maybe they haven't. And so maybe teleportation circles have been around a long time, but people are using teleportation circles in such a way that nobody, it, it, it's only very recently that people even realize that you can time yeah. travel using them. 100%. So, so you, could, you could have a game where te teleportation circles do enable time travel. But it's just being found out. But nobody knows that yet. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's kind of just being discovered and in its infancy and there haven't been enough spellcasters coordinated yet to to travel significantly back in time because i think well i'm not i'm well, not gonna is, act like i know but anyway it's so dangerous as well like so many right, have been torn up true. yeah yeah <laughs> so it's basically yeah it's i mean word. basically i think if you really if you were interested in running with this this idea i think it's close enough to science that sure, <laughs> that, you know, it might, it, it rings true enough, but then it kind of expect that your whole campaign setting is and, and campaign is going to be around time travel and teleportation circles. So if you don't want that, don't let it happen. Detect poison and disease. One of the, one of the more boring spells that we covered, but also one of the kind of, I don't know. I, I thought I thought we came up with some pretty fun stuff to do. So, with this. yeah. So we did come up with some some good stuff. And then afterwards, I got even more really cool people, people suggesting some really cool ideas to me that hadn't that hadn't crossed my mind. And some of them I'm like, I can't believe that it didn't cross my mind, but they just didn't. So it's the way it works sometimes. So one one thing that is is a is a setting building thing is that once there's an easy means of knowing whether or not a person's intoxicated and what they're intoxicated on you can create some pretty draconian laws around drug use yeah since you've got tanical yeah yeah you've got an infallible method of drug detection so so i think if if you want to feature kind of an authoritarian and puritanical society in your game that might be an interesting route to go is like police waiting outside of taverns or whatever or town guards i should say mm -hmm. waiting outside of taverns ready to cast detect poison disease to see if you're sufficiently intoxicated or intoxicated on a substance that's not legal for you to be intoxicated on and then they can arrest you that coupled with a totalitarian uh Merchants Guild. Oh man, you're dead in the water. Yeah, that's I mean, the merchants, for another time. But that's merchants, for that's yeah. another time. But <laughs> a fun, a fun thing that comes out of that idea, though, is is this idea of speakeasies lined with substances that block the detect poison and disease spell. Four feet. Yeah, of so, wood. so four feet of wood. So just like thick log cabins thick underground <laughs> like thick kinda, underground kinda, log cabins kind of double triple walled log cabins underground and i guess probably so that they're like perfectly un undetectable they would need to have what's it called on a spaceship when you like airlock an airlock they'd probably have to have a an airlock. wooden you'd, airlock you'd, you'd go into the four foot of wood airlock and that closes and then the door opens into the real <laughs> So that it's always completely encased. Always. Can't can't let those town guards know even for a second that there's some hooch going on down exactly. here. Exactly. Right. Or in uh in speak with animals world, barbecue. 
or like right, exactly. fish tacos. Well, that. you can imagine that like maybe those are the same. That's, that's the, the same, same world. World is mm-hmm. is a place where animals are part of the labor force and drugs have been outlawed. Mm-hmm. And so So over go, here we have, you know, bourbon and scotch. And here we have our cocaine. We've got our skooma. And then of course cheeseburgers. Yeah. All in a line, all of the sins. And human kebab. <laughs> For the discerning taste. Yeah. <laughs> For the truly wild. Ah, hmm. And, and just a bunch of wolves wandering around yeah. down there being like, the only place I can get it. <laughs> this sucks. Oh, oh yeah. I, yeah, because I guess to briefly jump back to speak with animals, uh-huh. that is, you would also have, yeah, certain animals who are interested in purchasing human flesh. Oh, yeah, eat. they'd love it. I'm like, so is, I, I love this that, stuff. That to, I can't that get it anymore. Me almost like, almost does. It, it will suggest even further that cannibalism might be an outcome of a society like that because you've got animals who want to eat it. Yeah, and they're mingling with humans who. Well, and and you know, if you fall in love with a wolf and you want to convert to wolfism, you want to participate in the wolf culture too. So you're gonna probably eat the same meals that so you're suggesting that in this (laughs) i just want to get this straight sure you're suggesting that a person either converts to to behaving like a wolf or maybe that they pay a high level spellcaster to cast like polymorph true and permanently turn them into a wolf as like a voluntary thing because they wish to live their life as a wolf. I don't think we should rule out any possibility. I'm not saying any one way. I'm saying that if you find your life partner is a wolf and you want to be closer to your partner, then you're going to participate in the things that your partner participates in. All right. Okay. Right. That's fair enough. That's a relatable baseline thing to suggest. It and gets weird when when that's we eating talk. humans. I don't know who's to, who's to say. Who am I to judge? Who am, I'm not going to judge them. I'm not a cop. And if you were, you'd have to tell me. I'd have to tell you after six episodes. I think that's when <laughs> a cop is legally obliged to disclose. So. Right. And, and I'd also again. call you out on that eight foot wide amulet around your neck right. of solid wood that may or may not have poisons in the, in the center of it. I think that's my favorite joke I've made. It is a very good one. <laughs> I think that's my favorite joke. It I've is made. a very good one. Thank you. So going back now to. Yeah, detect- let's go back to detect poison and disease. There was the first suggestion is like, so painfully obvious that I can't believe I hadn't thought of it. And this was, uh, this idea came from a few different people. It's that when you cast the spell, you know the location of all venomous creatures within range and you know precisely what creature they are because you Mm. know what venom they have. Because the spell doesn't just tell you that something's poisonous. It also tells you what the poison is. Right. So obviously this is good for things like not getting bit by a cobra or whatever. But it's also really good for shape change or disguise you on T or anything else that might have a venom um, and is trying to in disguise their system. Itself. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to I don't want to burst your bubble, Benjamin, but I I had thought of it. I just didn't want to blow up your spot. So I, you know, I, I held back. I held back that episode. I hope to God that's not true, Dane. there will be consequences if i find out that you oh, made me no. look that you made me look like a fool when you <laughs> could have prevented twitter. on twitter of all things on twitter on spotify wherever on podcast ever fine podcasts are listened to tell your friends so i can subscribe <laughs> follow smash, um, smash that like button but following up from that kind of a, like once you once you make that leap to you know the location of venomous creatures and you know exactly what they are because of that then you 
then you kind of get into this idea of like, oh, I could tag enemies with a poison. So yeah, that, they don't even need to be poisoned by it. You can just get poison on them. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then if they turn invisible, transform into another creature, doesn't matter. I know exactly where they are and and their identity. Easy. I've either poisoned them or placed a poison on their person and I'm able to detect them. The kind of like, <laughs> this is what I love about Dispel Magic is is that there's really no end. Like once you think you've hit the end, there's another thing to go to. And that's, so, okay. So then we've got this idea of like tagging enemies. So mm-hmm. that you know if they're invisible or shape changed. But then the kind of, even beyond that then is if you're fighting a lot of doppelgangers or something, everybody in your party carries- Some poison. Of Some poison. So that the cleric can cast detect poison disease and see if anyone's been replaced at any given time easy if if as long as everybody's got their poison then good we've got all the original members and they're not in the in the necklaces of of poison hiding right right but yeah it's a it's a fun way to know who your friends are <laughs> and <laughs> and it's through poison which is kind of <laughs> interesting yeah I mean, you put in highly transmissible diseases might also work in this, this right. way. Well, yeah, I mean, so like if you, because I was thinking, because I was thinking probably I, I could, I, I did like the barest amount of cert research on this, but I was thinking probably most people are infected with something mm-hmm. like at any given point. Okay. A lot of people have herpes. You went, you went straight to that. It's a very common thing for people to have just makes me think that you're kind of what suffering from you think i have herpes no i'm care. the one i'm the one person who doesn't have herpes that's what okay. i'm trying well what the I'm fact the to fact say. that you think only a single person doesn't have herpes suggests to me even more that you have herpes but before we go down the rabbit hole whether dane has herpes or not <laughs> Of, well, at this point, it's really more of confirming that Dane has herpes okay. than whether or not he has. Sure. You know, most people are going to have some disease or another. And so if you if you cast the spell and, and you see what diseases they have, later on, you can identify them again by those right. same combination, maybe, of diseases. It's like a, it's like a thumbprint. No, nobody has the same exact right. combination exactly. of diseases. Right. right. And I didn't, I, I didn't put this in the notes, but it did also come up in my discord that disease has a very broad definition in the real world. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can refer to genetic conditions. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And, 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 and many other things. And mm-hmm. Through context, I think it's clear that in D&D, when they say disease, they mean contagious diseases. Yeah, like more of viruses. a layman's idea of what it but, is. Yeah, viruses and, and bacteria. But the spell becomes a lot different and stranger, I think, yeah. if you can assume. Not, well, actually, it's not so much that this spell gets strange. If if you can cure, if if it can detect genetic diseases and things. But Heart disease is the but, first thing that I think of. But the restoration, I can't remember if it's lesser or greater restoration, but that spell gets a lot weirder because then all of a sudden you can cure like genetic conditions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so like alopecia is in the news right now. I don't know. Right. If it will I imagine it still will be by the time this episode gets released. I have alopecia and it's, it's funny it's gone. to me. It's, it's, gone. Yeah, it's funny it's to it's me. It's gone now. That, like, You're welcome. Somebody could cast it, cast that spell on me and either cure like the cold that I have or my alopecia. Or this uh thing that I carry in my very cells. Right. <laughs> I love D D 5e for yeah. using for using really? for using natural language. Mm-hmm. But this is an area where that creates confusion because I don't think it means disease no. and the kind of technical or medical sense but it doesn't clarify what exactly it means and so now, it leaves it op- leaves it open to that interpretation of, of it of it doing something different than i think the designers intended benjamin can we assume that if there 
are spells to cure certain diseases. There are also spells that could cause certain diseases. There are for sure. I mean, off the top of my head, there's a contagion spell that causes diseases. Can we give people alopecia in Dungeons and Dragons? I wouldn't recommend it. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Can you give a leader of uh, kingdom heart disease as a way of assassinating them? I honestly thought you said kingdom hearts. Oh, kingdom me bringing up disease. kingdom hearts again? Kingdom yeah, hearts disease? I thought you, kingdom hearts disease. Kingdom hearts disease is very- What do you think very, kingdom hearts disease would be? Yeah, it's it's very complex, but it it requires disassociation. You requires it. Yeah, it requires it. Okay. It's part of it. You don't feel like you're in your own body. Also, you're easily confused. Disney characters for you some reason. You watch a lot of Disney all of a sudden. You're just watching. Oh, man. I would play... Here's my here's my terms. Okay. Let's <laughs> take your terms, man. I'm, I'm ready. I will play Kingdom Hearts when the characters from Encanto are in kingdom hearts game that is not out of the realm of possibility I'm, my man okay i'm just saying when that happens i might get kingdom hearts a shot Maribel. <laughs> exactly that would be my dream that's so if the care dispel magic because it would be mirabelle and she would summon yeah like she would she would be like a summoner type of character she'd class. summon a house well, not just the house. She'd, she'd summon like her family members to do different yeah. things. Yeah. Like that's cool. That would be her ability is that she would like call out to her family. She opens a door and in. there yeah. there they are on the other yeah, ex- side of the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The gold, the, like oh. glowing golden door. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Man, make a make a subclass. Make a class. Make a Mirabelle subclass or class that like summons their ancestors or something. Do it. Do it right now. You hear my terms. Do it. I don't know if that's what terms are. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I hear you. Okay. I just want you to know I hear you. You hear me. You see me. I hear you. I see I've, you. I feel seen. I feel heard. You're valid. Thank you. Ah, oh, man. Ah, oh, mariposa. So this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. And I look forward to doing this with you every single month for our patrons. For our patrons. The Secret Show. The Secret Show. Don't tell anyone. Patreon.com slash Dispel Magic. And by don't tell anyone, I mean tell everyone. (laughs) Because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, those are Dane's terms. Those are my terms. Hey, here are my terms. Anyway, happy spelling. Thanks for listening to The Secret Show. You can find us on Twitter at Dispel Magic Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Sterling Vermin or online at SterlingVermin.com. And Dane. Yeah. Sup? Oh, yeah. I'm on Twitter. Sometimes. Dane in Danger. At Dane in Danger. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you again after your next long rest. Goodbye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter at Dispel Magic Pod. You can find Benjamin at Sterling Vermin and Dane at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art. Produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw. Secret. Secrets. <laughs> All right.